Luke chapter 3, we're going to look at uh, verses 1 to verse 6, and uh, the title is A Faithful Follower, A Faithful Follower. I had a job once where one of the people there had a different sort of sense of humor. Like, like if you didn't know this person, uh, you'd be offended by what they said, or you'd probably take what they said the wrong way. And uh, maybe you know someone like this, you know, maybe, maybe you're like this, I don't know, but, uh, but there are certain people uh, you need to prepare others for. You know, like I remember when I first met my wife's dad, Al, and uh, my wife had prepared me to meet him. And she was telling me how he was. And all good things, of course, if he's watching online. Um, all good things. But, uh, but even others told me, like, hey, Al has a serious face. And uh, sometimes he may look mad. But he's not mad. He's an awesome, godly man. So don't worry about it, right? So I was getting prepared to meet my future wife's dad. And I was nervous. And it's like, what if this guy doesn't like me? And I remember my first interaction with him and, and Brianne, we had lunch, we all went to this restaurant, and he ordered coffee and onion rings. That was his, that was his uh, lunch. I thought that was pretty cool anyway. Um, but being at lunch with Al, I was so glad people prepared me for this interaction. It actually helped, you know, helped me and, and put me at ease. And I knew his serious face wasn't because he detested me or he thought he was, I was some punk kid. Uh, I mean, I, I have the f- same face too. Ask my wife. I do. I remember when I started teaching the Bible, even, my senior pastor prepared me on how to teach and, and to, to not be discouraged, you know, because he was like, Mike, when you're preaching the message, you know, passionately and you're giving it your all, you're excited about it, people's faces may always not look like happy, <laughs> you know, and I'm not analyzing your faces, I promise, but I'm just saying, he said, their faces, you know, just, just preach the word. They may look discouraged, they may look distracted, they may look mad at you, like, what are you talking about? But look, just preach the word, be faithful to preach the word. And honestly, that helped me tremendously just to get up and teach the Bible, letting no expression distract or discourage me. Uh, but as we start Luke 3, we're going to see a man who was prepared his whole life prepare the crowd. He was prepared to prepare the crowd for the Messiah to come on the scene. We're looking at John the Baptist this morning. Now, before you start thinking, oh, I know a lot of Baptists, that's not what that means, okay? It doesn't mean he was a Baptist. But John the Baptist wasn't the first formal Baptist. There was no denominations back then. John was referred to as John the Baptist. Why? Because he came on the scene preaching and baptizing people in the Jordan River. So we're going to see about five different actions John took in these first 20 verses. We're going to only look at the first two this morning. Uh, And for you note takers, for you serious Bible students, let me just give you the five points up front, and then we'll go through verse by verse in the next couple of weeks and expound upon these truths. So in in regards to John the Baptist, we see, number one, the ministry. We see, number two, the prophecy. Number three, the message. Number four, the Messiah, and number five, the boldness. So let's pray, and then we'll get into the Word. Well, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your Word. We just thank you even in the Psalms, it says you hold your Word higher than your name. It's so important. It's the basis of truth. It's the blueprint for how we live, Lord, and we just thank you for guiding us through your Word. Lord, we just pray that you'd uh, speak to us this morning, Lord, as a church, but also personally, that Rama. Word, Lord, that word that speaks directly to our life situations. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to do that every day. And so we pray that for this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So the ministry, number one, chapter three, it says, Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, 
Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, while uh, uh, Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. In verse 3, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of of sins. So as Luke begins writing about John the Baptist in the third chapter, he gives the date at the beginning of his ministry. So if you look at the rulers that are mentioned, um, not only biblical history, but secular history, they both line up, we know that John's ministry started about 29 AD. And so Luke lists the political leaders of the time of the region that Jesus ministered at. Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, Herod, Philip, Lysanias, Luke was a historian, right? He was a physician, but he's also a historian. And he gave like this historical backdrop and framework. And let's look at the names just for a second. We could get real deep into this. I started to, I'm like, no, let's just... Uh, Tiberius was severely cruel emperor. He was known for his evil and horrible actions. Pontius Pilate was famous for his massacre of the Jewish people in Judea. He hated Jews and he had no em- uh, sympathy for them. Herod, Philip, and Lysanias were famous for their cruelty as well and their corruption. So the rulers did not have integrity. You know, they, what they had was hard hearts and cruel actions. Luke is simply reminding the readers of Rome's horrible corruption when John the baptizer entered the scene. And, and this is the culture backdrop, cultural backdrop of the time, which is important to remember. It's not like this land was full of a bunch of rulers who were just ready to be saved and hear the message of salvation. You know? They didn't welcome John the Baptist in and give... you know and just simply believe. You know, they didn't say, oh, I love what you're preaching. You know, no, they, these guys were evil. They ruled with self in view. They ripped the people off, and the power went to their heads. And so another thing is, when John came on the scene, if you think about this, like there had been no prophetic word for over four centuries, 400 years. And so in God's perfect timing, here comes John the Baptist. It wasn't this polished leader who dressed very nicely and just kind of drew your eye to him. It was this like hairy dude who ate weird, you know, it's, it was just, it was different, right? But here's what it says in verse 2. The word of the Lord came to John. John didn't make this stuff up. He didn't raise himself up to be heard by the crowds. He's like, you know what, I'm going to make myself a leader. No, God prepared him. John didn't make himself a leader or preacher of truth. Just like the Old Testament prophets, God was in communication with John, and he received full instructions from the Lord. John was a prophet, which actually, Jesus calls John more than a prophet. And because of John, prophetic words were uh, revived because they had been suspended for four centuries. And all of a sudden, here we go. Like, maybe you haven't heard a word from the Lord in a while. I don't know where you're at, but maybe you felt like God has been silent. Just remember, just because it's silent doesn't mean someone is not there. You know, sometimes the best thing someone can do for us is not to try and talk to help out, but just be there for us. Be in the same room. It's like it's comforting to know their presence is with us. I, I've had friends in the past that when I was going through something, especially when I was a new believer, trying to figure this whole, like, what am I supposed to do out, all these friends, and all this, like, stuff I was going through. I had some friends, and they just sat there next to me. I didn't need them to counsel me. I was just broken trying to figure this whole, you know, being a believer thing out. 
And they would just sit there, you know, you know, and just sit there and say nothing. And that was enough for me. I wasn't like, are you going to say something? I was just like, just being there showed support for me. Like, they would just, maybe they would say, you know, it's going to be okay. That's all I needed, right? I was a wreck, but I was so blessed by their presence, even though they didn't say much at all. God is always with you. You know, sometimes he's loud and clear, and you're like, I get it, God. Awesome. Other times, he may seem silent. Either way, please remember that God is present with you no matter what. Either way. He will never leave you nor forsake you. His presence is with you always. So there was 400 years of silence with no prophetic voice, right? And here comes John out of the desert, the scraggly guy, hairy guy, right? And we're not told how the word of the Lord came to John, right? It could have been a few various things. God's word could have come to John by an angel or his priestly father, you know, or by a dream, a vision, a voice. But John simply heard God and implemented what God said. That should be said of us, right? We have one job, just to faithfully follow. Jesus didn't say, you know what, follow me, but here's the requirements. Here's all the stuff you have to do. He didn't list off a whole bunch of stuff, right? Peter, Andrew, James, and John, he said, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Come on. To get up, to stand in place, wait for the Lord to guide us and take those steps of faith as he leads, that's what it's about, to be faithful follower. You know, John's whole life was a preparation for this time in the Jordan River where he'd prepare the way for Jesus. This was a huge calling. This wasn't like a little thing. I mean, think of this too. He was on the scene for about uh, a year, right, in that, the Jordan area, right? And then his ministry continued for two more years. Where was he? In prison. Before he was beheaded for calling out a king. The calling wasn't his whole life. It wasn't easy either. Some people think if they're called to do something, it should be the rest of their lives. But that's not true. Sometimes we are called to take actions in certain seasons for six months, one year, maybe a week, maybe a day. But no matter where God calls you to go and stay, no matter what God calls you to do, to get up and do, all you have to do is just faithfully follow. Faithfully follow. It may be tough. It's going to be tough. It may be a short season. But if it's from God, it will be a blessing and eternally impactful. I know friends who have pastored for years and people have been radically changed because of a 30-minute message given. Maybe that's you. Maybe you heard like a 30-minute message or you read like a, the shortest verse in the Bible and it touched your heart and you're like, yes, God used it. God was preparing the speaker and the listener for this one-hour message, this 30-minute message. He does some major heart work that we can't see tangibly. God uses, though, his kids for his glory, right? Give God your whole self. Give God your best. Don't give God your leftovers. He doesn't give us his leftovers. He's not like, I'll get to you when I'm done with these important people. I'll listen to you then. Right? No. He listens to every single one of his kids. He loves you as if you were the only one he loves. He gives you the best, and he blesses you undeservedly. You guys realize that and recognize that? Even if we're barely you know, paying our bills or whatever, still looking around like, Lord, thank you. He, we're so blessed in so many ways, and I think we often take it for granted and live like we're not blessed, like we're chasing after blessings instead of living in the midst of blessings because he's already blessed us. He gives you the best. He blesses you and me undeservedly. So John is called. He's called the son of Zacharias, referring to what the angel, of the, uh, the angel said to his father when he assured him that he should have his son. The word of the Lord came to him in the wilderness. Now, now, John was being prepared in the wilderness, which wilderness means desert, right? Um, it's not like the rainforest. It's, it's the desert. 
I mean, think about this, especially when you're going through the desert. Think about this. Or maybe you're going through dry, spiritually dry seasons. The word of the Lord is not bound by a prison. The word of the Lord is not lost in a desert, right? God is not a God who is limited by location. He's not, oh, you're there? I'm not going to speak to you. No, he's not limited by location. God is omnipresent, right? Which means he's everywhere. And so he is in the desert with his followers as well, right? God can speak to his children whether they are on the mountaintops, in the valleys, flatlands, deserts, the deep south, right? Like God's word isn't stopped by location and it is not impeded by circumstances. You know, cellular doesn't always work, right? You ever notice that? I don't know what carrier, Verizon's pretty good. Verizon's pretty good. Maybe you have AT&T, I'm sorry, I don't know. But, um, it's, but cellular, it doesn't always work. So our cell phones and internet, they're limited by location sometimes, right? And we love that. We're like, oh cool, my phone doesn't work. I can enjoy my, no. <laughs> Usually we get frustrated, right? But there are times where there's no reception at all and we're at a dead spot. Right? And not so with the Lord, not so with his word. He's omnipresent and limitless, and we're the ones who are limited. Think of this. The word of the Lord made its way to Ezekiel among the captives by the river of Chabar. The word of the Lord came to the apostle John in this rocky, abandoned isle of Patmos. What? <laughs> you know, God is not limited by location, and no wall can stop the Lord from working. And so John the baptizer was the son of a priest. Now entering upon the 30th year of his life, and therefore, according to the custom of the temple, he was now to be admitted into temple service, where he should have attended as a candidate five years before when he was about 25. But John's dad was a priest, and so John would be expected to be a priest as well. Kind of like, like father, like son, right? You're going to be a priest, of course, that's understood, right? But how many of us know oftentimes God has plans that are much different than our plans. You know, and we're kind of in shock, like, like what? God, I had this, I had the whole year planned out. Like, me and my wife just planned out the whole year for the church, you know, and I, we put all the events down and stuff like that. At the same time, we see the calendar, we pray, and we go, Lord, we got all these things down, but if you want to change anything, if there's any divine interruptions, praise the Lord. That's fine. Help us to be flexible, because like Pastor Chuck always said, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. Whatever you want. Sometimes we're in shock, though. You know, sometimes we're in shock, like, what, Lord? Lord, this is, this is what you've called me to do? It may be a shock initially, right? You may be caught off guard, but then as we walk in his calling, it's always a huge blessing, but you don't realize that until you take those steps. But God has called John to do a more honorable and important ministry than to be a priest. Instead, John was called to be a prophet, to be a prophet and pave the way for the Messiah. So the Holy Spirit is preparing John in the desert to make Jesus known in the water of the Jordan. I mean, think about the shepherds preparing the desert. Think about Moses. He went to that desert. He wasn't just hanging out for 40 years, you know, by the pool, you know, chilling. He, he, right? he was like, he was a shepherd, right? He was a shepherd, and he was taking care of sheep. He was learning leadership. He was living a quiet life. Think about David. He learned a lot in the desert. Little, ruddy, redheaded David. But he was called to, be, to defeat Goliath and be a king. So I'd just say, stay in God's word even if you are in a spiritually dry place. Because God's word includes the spiritual nutrients that we desperately need to survive in this world. Because this world is like a desert of dry bones. And what I mean is this world is becoming more and more godless and we must get our sustenance and truth 
not from this world, but from the Word. Comparing the Gospels, though, and looking at John the Baptist, we see that John resembled, actually, the prophet Elijah, right, in his demeanor and even his clothing style. And so John lived in the desert since his youth, John 1, uh, Luke 1.80 tells us. He grew up there, and John was, he was prompted and spoken to through the Word of God. And, and he was about to fulfill his ultimate calling, which was to really be a forerunner for the Messiah. And let me give you some scripture that has to do with John the Baptist. And John 1.17 says, He will also, and this is a prophecy given about him, He was also... Go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Matthew 3, 4 says of John, Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. It's kind of like a hippie, right? I don't know. Uh, Second Kings one eight. Second Second Kings one eight. Sorry, says of Elijah. So they answered him, a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist, and he said, "It is Elijah the Tishbite." John came. He came to the Jordan River, baptizing and preaching about repentance. And centuries before Israel had crossed the Jordan and entered into the Promised Land. Now this is pretty mind blowing. Now see the same place they crossed to be free. They were called to repent and turn back to the Lord. So the children of Israel drifted from God, from godly to godless, from followers to to flippant, really. John the Baptist was who God used for this calling and task, to bring the people back to the Lord. John's message was direct, straight to the point. He did not, you know, he did, he made it so clear the people needed to repent. The word remission here means not only forgiveness, but also deliverance. So repentance could bring true freedom in the Messiah for those who received it, actually. Repentance isn't just a a feeling word. It's an action word, right? Like some people think repentance is only about just feeling bad for your sin and having that godly sorrow. That's part of it. That's the beginning of it. Repentance, though, speaks of a change of direction, right? Not just a sorrow of heart. It's kind of like when you get lost, are you going to stay lost? Maybe with the, if you're arguing with your spouse, you're like, I don't care, I'm going this way, it's going to eventually go there. It's probably not, right? If you know you're going the wrong way, you're going to have to change direction, right? You're going the wrong way, far away from where you're supposed to be, turn around, go back to your destination. Repentance really is turning away from sin and turning towards God. So John was clear on repentance, and he, and he also shared the gospel, See, John preached to the Messiah. He was getting the people ready for Jesus to come on the scene, and then John would get out of the way. He wouldn't get in God's way. Our goal as followers of Jesus is to take in the Word, and, you know, take in the Word of God and share the Word of God. We are to get out of the way of what God is doing. Now, don't get me wrong, because some people use that as an excuse to do nothing. I'm going to get out of God's way, so I'm not going to do anything. Like, that doesn't mean do nothing, right? It means we allow the Lord to move and work through our lives and then give all the glory to Him. You know, not sharing in the glory, but giving Him the glory. We're not trying to look for rewards spiritually, like on this earth, right? We're looking for rewards in heaven, because you can't get rewards in both places, not in, on earth and in eternity. It's one or the other. If you take the rewards right now, what you're doing spiritually for the Lord, your rewards are burned up in heaven. You're not going to, you know, rather get rewards from the Lord. 
You know, we're all going to die one day and face Jesus. And he's going to say, what would you do? You know, God's going to say, what did you do for me? What did you do for my son? And it's like rewards are in heaven. We don't share in the glory. We give God all the glory, all the credit, all the honor. But the, the way to prevent a hindering of what God wants to do is just be a faithful follower. It really goes back to that over and over again. Be a faithful follower. It doesn't say be a perfect follower. Aren't you glad? It, doesn't say, it, does, it says be a faithful. Just be a faithful follower. Follow him consistently, continually. And try not to take over as captain of your future. Right? That's the world's idea. You know, I'm going to be the captain of my... But it's like as God's leading... We follow him, and he's always in the lead. He should always be in the lead. It's like when you're, you're running a race, you're, like, you're trying to lead, right? You're like, I'm going to be the first, right? Like, but when it comes to the Christian life, God needs to be the, the, you know, the, the one in the front, the one that's leading the way, or else we're going to be lost in the woods without a compass, without a GPS, without Google Maps, right? We're going to be lost in the woods. Follow him. Let him go before us. Don't get, get before him. Don't get in front of him always needs to be uh, the leader, right? The captain, the chief, the one in charge. God has a future, though, and a hope, and this is a huge blessing, guys. God has a future and a hope for each one of his kids, every single one of us. And we enter into that future and hope by simply following him, faithfully following him. One thing John did was baptize people, which wasn't like new because the Jews baptized Gentile proselytes uh, all the time. What was unusual was John baptizing Jews. And Acts 19 tells us that John baptized looking forward to the Messiah, right? And Christian baptism really is all about looking back to the finished work of Christ. And we know from the book of Acts, which was written by Luke, and really is a continuation of the Gospel of Luke, it's like Gospel of Luke Part 2, but that those who trust in Christ were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so we see the ministry of John, and number two, we see the prophecy. Okay, we're going to get through these, these few more verses, okay? Verse four to six, it says, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So the prophecy now. John's ministry was a clear fulfillment of prophecy, right? And so John was the one in Isaiah that was spoken about, which John knew this prophecy because his dad was, you know, his dad was a, knew it before his birth. And you remember Luke 1, 76 and 77, it says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. I love that. John was basically a voice crying in the wilderness. John was like the forerunner who would go before a royal procession and make sure the roads were ready for the king. They had to be perfect. They had to be paved. They had to be, there couldn't be rocks or bumps or anything like that. It had to be perfectly smooth. And see, at this time, the nation of Israel was living again in a spiritual desert. They were dry spiritually. And so the priests, they were corrupt, for there were actually two high priests at this time. Uh, and there only should have been one. Why were there two high priests? Well, there was one Jewish high priest, and there was one high priest which Rome created or made that position so that particular high priest could be bought and control people. So there's two high priests. It wasn't a good situation. This was a shady situation and a spiritually dry time. The nation, it was weakened because of the legalistic hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees. 
So people needed to hear the voice of God in a huge way. And John was that initial voice for the Lord after centuries of silence. John the baptizer was to prepare the way of the Lord. In other words, the Messiah was about to come on the scene, and as John would preach, Jesus would fill valleys, level mountains, set crooked roads straight, and make rough roads smooth. In other words, Jesus would really set things straight and make things right. See, the Jews thought everything that was wrong with the world was just because of the Romans. John prepared the way for Jesus, basically telling the Jews that it wasn't about them, the Romans. It was about me, the the Jews personally. It was about the Jews recognizing their own godly hearts. John said to all the Jews who would hear him, everyone, all the whole crowd, he wasn't like, just you guys repent, you guys are fine. He told everyone, repent. John didn't say, go fight against the Romans because all your problems are their fault. John the Baptist didn't advocate blame-shifting. Right? His words were about repenting of sin and getting right with God. And this would be Jesus' message too, which is why John was preparing the people for his arrival. I love what John says here. He says, all flesh shall see the salvation of God, meaning the messianic age was at hand. Jesus came for all mankind. You know, would all mankind accept him? Unfortunately not. Yet here was John getting the crowd ready for Jesus. Our job, in a sense, is to get people ready for Jesus, get people ready for the Lord, to let them know by our lives, by our words, by our actions, by our reactions that, hey, I'm following God first. John would prepare the people and then present the Messiah. Prepare the people, present the Messiah. So we have the ministry and the prophecy. And just like John, again, had a calling from God, each one of his kids has a calling, and he will empower each of you, each of us, to fulfill that calling. Even if it's silent, God is still present with you. Stick to what you already know. Get in the Word. Seek Him. Remember His sacrifice. You know, fellowship. Gather together with believers. Trust Him. Listen to Him. And just faithfully follow. Faithfully follow. Amen?